Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today on Inside Politics, President Biden is wrapping up a very busy four-day trip to California where he met with some of America's closest allies and its toughest competitor. And we have new CNN reporting this hour about the Biden re-election campaign strategy as they prepare for the probability of another race against Donald Trump. Plus, George Santos's days on Capitol Hill may be numbered. A growing number of his fellow Republicans say they're ready to expel him. And it's a list that now includes the chairman of the House Ethics Committee, which investigated him. So will Santos stay or fight or call it quits? And the IDF says it has proof that Hamas was operating underneath a hospital complex. Israeli forces are raiding in northern Gaza. We're going to go to Israel for reporting on that. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. We start with President Biden heading home today from the Asia-Pacific Economic Summit. He's got one big meeting left with the Mexican president, and it's a meeting that could have some major domestic political implications. CNN senior White House correspondent MJ Lee is in San Francisco. Obviously, the crisis at America's southern border, at the U.S.'s southern border, is going to be key, MJ. That's right, Dana. President Biden is closing out the last day of the APEC summit here with a bilateral meeting with the president of Mexico. And needless to say, there are going to be a number of urgent issues for the two presidents to discuss. Uh, chief among them is going to be the migrant situation at the U.S. southern border. Obviously, this is an issue that has been incredibly politically fraught for the president back uh, in Washington, D.C., with Republicans and even some Democrats expressing concerns about the administration's handling of this issue. Uh, we also expect the two leaders to discuss the fentanyl crisis as well. And that, in the context of what we saw happen uh, over the last few days, is particularly notable because, of course, this was a major issue that came up between President Biden and Chinese President uh, Xi with that major announcement on efforts to crack down on chemicals used to make fentanyl. So we expect this is going to be an issue that these two leaders discuss today as well. Now, just this morning, Dana, the president did Find the gov did sign the government funding bill. This was flown out to California for him to sign, but not included in that, of course, was funding for Israel and Ukraine. So this is just one major issue and one of many issues that the president is now returning home to in Washington, D.C. Dana. MJ, thank you so much for that reporting. Now to fresh reporting about the Biden 2024 re-election campaign. President Biden is going to, quote, take the gloves off 
as he ramps up attacks against Donald Trump. And that is according to campaign officials and Democratic donors. It's part of a news story from CNN White House correspondent Arlette Sines, who joins me now from the White House. Arlette, what are you learning? Well, Dana, President Biden has really been sharpening his attacks against uh, former President Donald Trump as they are preparing for a possible rematch between the two men heading into November. Now, uh, this comes as the president has been really uh, tweaking his arguments against Trump on policy and his official speeches, things like climate change uh, and also labor union support. But the president is also speaking in more blunt terms at these closed door uh, off camera fundraisers. As an advisor told me that President Biden Biden really felt personally compelled this week to take on the former president over his recent comments uh, calling uh, political opponents vermin. Uh, the president saying that that uh, harkens back to Nazi rhetoric from the 1930s. And an advisor I had spoken to that much of that ha- is part of what had animated President Biden to run against Donald Trump in the first place. If you think back to those clashes in Charlottesville back in 2017. But the Biden campaign is also really keened in on trying to focus and zero in on Trump's policy. They believe this is a moment where some of the president, former president's platforms are really coming into focus, uh, including plans to return to hardline immigration policies of his first administration. But this isn't happening in a vacuum. Recent polling has found uh, from CNN that the former president is narrowly uh, beating President Biden on the national level. Uh, the Biden campaign, of course, has pushed back, arguing that these early ele- uh, pollings aren't reflective of the final election outcomes. But there has been some pressure from allies for the president to take a more forceful stance against Trump. One Democratic donor telling me, quote, Joe's going to take to take the gloves off and start to engage with facts instead of BS. They've got to be more forceful, a little bit more in the electorate's face, and take these guys on. Of course, advisors say that the president's uh, full campaign mode won't be gearing up until next year, but the Bi- President Biden has shown this willingness to try to take on Trump a little bit more uh, with as each week passes. Yeah, and it's definitely noticeable. Thank you so much for that great reporting. You can see more of it, read more of it on CNN.com. And here we have a group of excellent reporters to discuss all of it and more. CNN's David Chalian, CNN's Audie Cornish, CNN's Gloria Borger. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you wonderful humans on this Friday. Uh, Let's start with the um, New Hampshire numbers. So yesterday you revealed on the show the uh, Republican side of new CNN reporting of what's going on in New Hampshire. That is, um, I think, a, a more robust race (laughs) to say that, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But what was uh, revealed or released today were Democrats in New Hampshire and how they feel. And you'll explain why it's not actually a straight question because it's complicated about how there will be a primary or whether there'll be a primary. So it's asked about a Biden write-in, 65%, Dean Phillips, 10%, Marianne Williamson, uh, 9%. Let's just start with that sort of top line of how Democrats in New Hampshire feel, particularly about Joe Biden. Yeah, I mean, I'd say Dean Phillips and Marion Williamson not getting so much traction on a guy who uh, actually won't even be on the ballot. As you note, mm-hmm. Biden changed the rules of the game for the Democrats. He wanted South Carolina to go first in the process and not New Hampshire. Uh, and therefore, New Hampshire's primary, which they said, no, our state law says we have to go first, is in violation of DNC rules. So Biden is not appearing on the ballot to be in accordance with DNC rules. That's the little complication. But nearly two thirds of likely Democratic voters are still willing to write in his name. Uh, I don't think he has real concerns here about a damaging Democratic primary in the first in the nation state. Let's talk about the enthusiasm 
uh, in New Hampshire? Because New Hampshire has, I would say, in the past 20 years, gone back and forth a little bit. I mean, recently it's not so much uh, been that much of a question, but every state matters and you never know. Enthusiasm. Again, this is just in New Hampshire. This is among Democrats for uh, Joe Biden. 26%, only 26% say they're enthusiastic. Satisfied, 46%. Dissatisfied and angry, 21 and 4%. But if you look deeper, Audie Cornish, into this poll and you um, look at it by age, it's really striking. Yeah. 10% say that they're enthusiastic. And when I say they, that's people under 50. And then over 50 is 41%. These are Democrats. I mean, nobody, to be clear, is enthusiastic about their choice right now, I feel like, on either side of the ticket. Like, this is not a matchup anybody really wanted to see again. And now, it's, as it's getting closer, people are paying closer attention, and they want to register their dismay in these kinds of surveys. You're going to see these numbers. For me, it's sort of hard to tease out, given what's going on internationally mm -hmm. and the generational divide within the Democratic Party on Israel and the war in Gaza. That is really striking. Um, it's really pronounced, and I do think it can have a, an effect in these kinds of conversations in a way that often foreign policy numbers do not. I don't know anyone but else. These younger voters, I think what that reflects is their concerns about his age, and um, that is also reflected in the rest of the poll. And, you know, the sense that they have suffered through the, an economic downturn. If they wanted to get a mortgage, the rates were high. They they're, don't see any increase in their paycheck. The student loan issue. This, right, exactly, the student loan issue. So yeah. I, think, I think that, you know, again, Biden nationally is not doing well with a, a lot of constituent groups that he did very well with in 2020, yeah. like black voters, Hispanic voters, younger voters. So this is just one more area where they have to kind of get the wind at their backs again a little bit and talk to younger voters in a way that will appeal to them. He's going to be 81 years old on Monday. Mm -hmm. Um, let's look at what this poll shows. It's and it'll be a lot closer to 82 on election day next year. Yes, it, it is. that is true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's look at the way he is perceived on some of his sort of personality traits as opposed to Donald Trump. Temperament, way better. Honesty, integrity, way better. Policy positions, about even. Uh, physical, mental fitness, 10 points lower uh, than Donald Trump. It's the only attribute that we tested in this poll where Trump is ahead mm -hmm. of Biden. And, and the only attribute he can't fix. And the only attribute he can't fix. Uh, here, here is um, the reality. New Hampshire is not a terrible state for Joe Biden. His approval no. rating overall is uh, a little bit higher than it is nationally, like a tick uh, higher than it is nationally. I think we had it at 44% in this poll. And it's the matchup, and this gets to what you were just talking about with Arlette yes. in her reporting, Dana. This, it has always been the case that the Biden team understood this was going to be a contrast campaign. That is what they were gearing up for. The contrast is the campaign. Mm -hmm. that, that, that is, uh, and it gets to why Joe Biden initially sought the presidency last time yep. around. So um, all of that was going to be the case. And what numbers like this show, when you look at that side-by-side -side comparison, if you look at their favorable and unfavorables, yes, Joe Biden is not popular. His numbers are upside down. 
But you know who's more unpopular? Mm -hmm. Donald Trump. And that's the conversation they want to take to voters. Yeah. I mean, right. what don't do they say? Don't, go. Don't, don't, don't compare me uh, to the almighty. Compare, compare me to the alternative. Exactly. And that's what this is. But if I were looking at this poll and I were working for Biden, I would say, oh, it's not that bad. Uh, you know, they're used to bad ones. But, you know, more 62 percent of adults in New Hampshire say that Trump has probably committed a crime. You know, when you look at Republican polling, there's no belief in the fact that he mm -hmm. committed a crime. Or they don't care. So, and you know, since you have, a, a, what, 40% of the primary electorates of independents, yeah. um, you know, this is, this is good news for him, even though he's technically not running there. But it, it does show that, you know, the indictments and the possible convictions are having an impact somewhere. But to your point, Dan, I think that's also why we're seeing the president juice up his attacks, because mm -hmm. that has been the number one criticism from within the party, is if you're going to draw this distinction to the alternative, let's see it. Where is it? What does it sound like? This kind of conversation that the economy is so good, even if you don't feel it, isn't working. And I do think that's yeah. where you can tell the Biden folks have heard these polls and are taking them to heart because now they're really trying to make that effort to underscore, here's where we're different, here's where we're different. I talked to one Democratic strategist um, who said to me the other day, who said to me, can we stop saying Bidenomics? It's just not working. But we that was to, their idea. Yeah, hello. Well, they were trying but, to make fetch happen. And but they, but it, it, you trying know, to make what? They're trying to make fetch happen. No, just like, right. They're trying to make a thing happen well, that like, wasn't going to happen. Obamacare ended up working out just fine, but Bidenomics just isn't singing the same song, well, really. For lots of reasons, which we can do a whole other segment on right. that. But up next, we're gonna talk about what's going on in Capitol Hill, the resolution to expel George Santos. It has now officially been filed. Will Republicans in the House vote to oust their embattled colleague? We've got some new details next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The House is another step closer to expelling George Santos from Congress. The Republican chairman of the Ethics Committee introduced an expulsion resolution just this morning, one day after a damning report concluded he, quote, fraudulently exploited every aspect of his House candidacy for his own personal financial profit. 
CNN's Melanie Zanona is live on Capitol Hill with details on this would be the third out, uh, effort, the latest effort to force him out. Melanie, what are you hearing from your sources about whether that's going to be needed or whether he would potentially go on his own? Well, no one truly knows what George Santos is going to do. He has said that he's not going to seek re-election in 2024. He has said he's going to stick around and stick this out. We'll see if that comes to fruition. But in the meantime, there are clear signs that momentum is growing for this expulsion effort, including in the GOP. Since this report came out yesterday, there have been a dozen new Republicans who have come out and said they're going to back this after previously voting against it. Now, it is a high bar. There's a two-thirds majority required for something like expulsion. And as you noted, past efforts have failed. But now having the chairman of the House Ethics Committee behind this is significant. And meanwhile, the new speaker, Mike Johnson, he is essentially giving members the green light to vote their conscience. I want to read you part of the statement from his spokesman, Raj Shah. He said, the speaker has reviewed the report and its very troubling findings. As members from both parties, members of the Ethics Committee and Representative Santos return to Congress after the Thanksgiving break, Speaker Johnson encourages all involved to consider the best interests of the institution as this matter is addressed further. So we are expecting action at some point after the Thanksgiving break. And meanwhile, Santos put out a new tweet yesterday where he continued to bash this ethics report, continued to be defiant, defiant here, continued to claim his innocence. And he also announced that he's going to be having a press conference on November 30th on the Capitol steps. We'll see if that winds up being his last press conference here on Capitol Hill. Dana. We certainly will. Melanie, thank you so much for that. And uh, the panel is back here. You know, this is just one more maybe chapter in this book that I want to write uh, called <laughs> The End of Shame, which is the notion that politicians like it wasn't that long ago that we were covering Capitol Hill. And something, maybe not this egregious, but something would happen that was an obvious ethics lapse. And the uh, member would just feel so ashamed that they would leave, or the speaker or the leader would call them in and say, um, this, is your, this is your resignation, and uh, you're going to you're going to put yeah. this on your letterhead and you're going to go bye-bye. At least penalize them in some way. You yeah. probably remember the William Jefferson case. He was found to have yeah, over and over. Uh, exactly. the cash a brick, in the cash in the refrigerator, right? $90,000 of cash in the refrigerator. But he ran for re-election, right? He kind of stuck it out and he was stripped of his, uh, his committee positions. But I think what's important is that lawmakers are never so protective of the institution as when they're talking about themselves. And that's why they didn't really, there were Republicans who voted, you know, not to go against Rashida Tlaib, and there were mm -hmm. Democrats who voted not to expel Santos because they believe that there should be due process and protections for them when there are accusations, and they don't want a politicized process to get them tossed out of Congress against the will of the people. So I think this is playing out the way a lot of people expected in the end, and that there's actually a report with actual details. Let's sorry. Go ahead, no, you just on the go. politics of this yeah, for a moment, please. though. The Democrats are being robbed of uh, a campaign image mm. that they would like next fall in George Santos. You know, having him there has been, uh, uh, especially in those New York House races mm -hmm. that basically delivered the Republican majority yeah. last time around, um, he's, a, he's such a public poster child of like all things wrong with uh, the Republican Party in the House right now mm -hmm. that it has it has been beneficial to Democrats, and it's why we've seen the New York Republicans right. very vocal sure, about right? wanting to. So they 
like either resign or get him expelled. Get this guy out now so that yeah. it's not okay. present for voters. But they the haven't. Ballot. But they have. But it's interesting. Yes. But they, the Republican leadership, the former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, others, they had the opportunity to they do did. that yeah, for a very long seat. time. And let's wait for the ethics report, which is fine. I mean, I guess that's the way but the rules go. But that's not the politics. You know, they don't want to lose a seat. But, they're, but they might lose a seat now. Right. Which is, but they didn't want to lose a seat. Let me just then. actually on that note, let me just kind of give people a data point of what we're talking about. The, the districts in New York have been moved, have moved a bit and they will um, potentially move again because there's a lawsuit. But let's just generally look at what our team says is the makeup of the New York third district. Joe Biden won that area uh, 53 and a half percent, Donald Trump 45 percent. And that is if there is a special election, if he's either expelled or if he resigns, that is the terrain right. that uh, Republicans are going to have to go into. Yeah, they're going to be, you know, it's it's ripe territory for mm -hmm. a Democrat, and they know that. But these Republicans from upstate New York, et cetera, who have been so vocal about this, mm -hmm. feel like he has done the party there a lot of damage. And, you know, so it's not so they're out there, you know, as David was saying, campaigning against this guy. But, you know, it it's it's not good for the Republican Party there. And and not just generally like he messed about with donors. Yeah. You know, the allegations here are that he manipulated to lie. Effectively stole but, money. So yeah. lots of other Republicans in that state are like, what do you say to a donor who says to you, look, if you guys can't even take care of the money we want to give you, why should we bother right. giving it to you? And he's doing, you know, Santos is doing a Donald Trump. You know, he's blaming the ethics yeah. committee. It's a witch hunt. It's, he's taking a page out of Donald oh, Trump's book. Oh, okay, let's, let's actually just give a contrarian look to this district, because assuming that there's going to be some kind of race in some way, shape, or form to replace him. Um, the team found this article. It was in CBS News, and it's specifically about an, uh, uh, a race on Long Island this year, so just a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week. Uh, once again, Long Island was an outlier. Very much like last year, the rest of the country went blue. Long Island went red. This is a reaction to Albany politics. So it's not a given. No, no. not a and given Santos at all. I don't think did this is... win by a pretty healthy margin. Yeah, 20... this, this is not uh, a guaranteed pickup uh, for the Democrats, although a former Democratic congressman is seeking the seat, yeah, right? And right. there was already a Republican primary challenge in place. Because Santos is such a joke and is such a flawed character, for a year now, he's been like ha hanging over uh, the politics around this and his absurdity. And so I think if he is removed from the equation, um, Yes, this will get more back to sort of competitive ground than it would be if Santos was still running. Yeah, I think one of the reasons McCarthy wanted to keep Santos was he was so reliable. You as know, a he, as a vote, he would do anything McCarthy That's it. wanted. For him to try to stay in his own <laughs> job. Yeah. 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 As a vote. Really. And I do wonder with the new speaker if there's like a smidge more stability. There's not so much of this like, oh, 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 which way will we move? Um, we'll see that play out more in January. Well, just the, the uh, statement that Melanie showed from the new speaker's spokesperson, basically like, you do you guys. I'm not going to try to save him. Really interesting. Coming up, we're going to go to Israel as the ground invasion of Gaza enters its third week. Questions are mounting about what exactly a post-war Gaza would look like. I'll talk to the man responsible for turning the tide in Iraq. General David Petraeus will join me next. 
This billboard in Times Square is the stark reality for families of hostages being held by Hamas. Today is Emily Han's ninth birthday. Ninth. She celebrated her eighth birthday last year with a circus-themed party in Kibbutz Beri, not far from the Gaza Strip. Emily was initially believed to have been killed on October 7th in the attack by Hamas, but is now believed to be among the 237 hostages. Her father says he prays she will be home by Christmas. Two days after Israeli military forces infiltrated the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza, the IDF is now showing what it says is proof that Hamas was operating underneath the hospital complex. This video, shot and distributed by the IDF, shows a tunnel shaft near the hospital. CNN is unable to get comment from hospital authorities at this time, and doctors and health officials in the Hamas-run enclave have consistently denied the IDF's accusation. Joining me now is CNN's Oren Lieberman for more on this. So, Oren, the IDF, as I mentioned, has said that these, uh, what they have covered in this tunnel shaft is part of the reason for the continued operation in the hospital. And as I come to you, I'm sure you will agree that it's understandable that people who are in this Hamas-run hospital will not want to contradict Hamas. Right, and that's what makes this so difficult. The UN has said they want to investigate themselves because, frankly, they don't put a tremendous amount of stock in either side, given the length and the and the and what they've seen in this conflict. So they've called for an independent verification, an independent investigation to see what this tunnel shaft was for. So first, what do we know for certain? CNN was able to geolocate the video released by the IDF, and it shows that it is in fact within the complex of the Al Shifa Hospital. It clearly shows what looks like an entrance to a tunnel, and there is some wiring, tubing, piping, some metal there, and concrete. The question, of course, is what's inside that tunnel? And that is what CNN cannot independently verify or, or come to any conclusion about because we need to see inside, nor has the IDF released any video, but we do expect more coming, whether it's in the next days, uh, day or days, that's an open question we'll have to hear from the IDF. But this is a large part of the Israeli military's focus right now. Shifa was from the very beginning a focus because this is where they said Hamas had its uh, headquarters or a large part of what they called its terror infrastructure under the hospital, using the medical complex as a sort of protection for it. Now Israel is under a tremendous amount of pressure to prove that point, and we've seen that from the international community. The U.S. has backed Israel as well, saying independent U.S. intelligence also confirms there is a Hamas infrastructure under there. It's worth pointing out, Dana, that this is a black and white question. Mm -hmm. It's either there or it isn't. And now it's up to Israel with the U.S.'s backing to show that it's there. Very good point. Thank you so much for that reporting, Oren, and all of your reporting from Israel. For more on this, I'm now joined by General David Petraeus, who is among other things, the author of a new book about the evolution of warfare. Thank you so much, General, for being here. It's been three weeks since Israel's ground incursion into Gaza, six weeks uh, since the October 7th attacks. What is your assessment of Israel's advances militarily so far? Well, they've made quite steady progress. And I, if I just might offer, I don't think it's at all out of the ordinary to actually have to secure a hospital. The very first site that we secured when we cleared Fallujah the final time during the surge in Iraq was, in fact, the hospital, both to ensure that it would continue to operate and take care of the civilians that inevitably were going to be wounded and injured uh, in the operations that we were going to conduct to destroy al-Qaeda in Iraq and its presence there, 
but also to make sure that it wasn't a source of disinformation as it had been in previous such operations. The truth is that you have to clear and hold every area uh, in Gaza to ensure that you are able to destroy Hamas. Keep in mind, destruction means that you are rendering the enemy incapable of accomplishing his mission without reconstitution. By the way, that reconstitution piece is crucial. So they have to do this uh, very deliberately, painstakingly, every single building, floor, room, cellar, and tunnel. And whether or not this is the real location of the headquarters or not, I, I'm not all that seized with that. We know that they do operate in those tunnels. There's no other reason to build 300 miles of tunnels. And in those, you will find uh, their headquarters, their infrastructure, yeah. weapons cache, well, and hostage. I hear what you're saying about the fact that um, I mean, you understand this because you are uh, uh, you have tremendous experience in in uh, war and particularly in this kind of urban uh, warfare as we're seeing in Gaza. But just when you look at the information war and the fact that this is a hospital where we the world has seen images of babies who are sick and so on and so forth. Uh, it might be standard for this kind of warfare f to go in and secure a hospital, but is this different because of the um, the fact that we are seeing these civilians who are so sick uh, and so small? Well, I think what might be uh, advisable here, and I hope actually is the case, and in fact they did bring in incubators and medical supplies and, and, and so forth in the beginning, would be to sustain this. Uh, you, you should make a corridor to it from Israel. They need that hospital, actually. That's a place where they're going to have to continue to treat civilians. Sure. And I think this leads to what should be additional big ideas for this operation. So far, what you have is the, the big idea of destroying Hamas and dismantling the political wing. How about a big idea for the vision of, of life for the Palestinians in Gaza after Hamas is gone? We sought to separate the extremists from the population by giving such visions before we would conduct operations in Ramadi, Fallujah, Mosul, and these other cities that we had to clear and hold and then rebuild. And then start to do the rebuilding in the locations where they are now holding, having already cleared them, uh, to show that this is what they can look forward to. Uh, again, that I think is a crucial element here, even as they understandably um, seek to find out who could possibly administer this, noting sure. that the preferred objective here, a competent, capable Palestinian entity, is probably not available uh, or willing, uh, and that Arab countries probably aren't eager to take this on uh, yeah. themselves as well. And noting that in addition to the humanitarian assistance component, restoration of basic services and reconstruction, there's going to have to be a security element that ensures that Hamas cannot reconstitute in the way that the Islamic State was allowed to reconstitute after our combat forces departed Iraq, the result being a caliphate a couple of years later. I mean, there's so many uh, points that you just made there. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but including the, the notion that you have to show the people that there is going to be life after Hamas. It's, it's hard exactly to imagine right. that they're... Um, they don't probably don't believe it, understandably, because uh, a lot of people have been living in such fear under Hamas uh, in Gaza for uh, for a decade. General Petra Petraeus, I should mention again, you are the author of a new book, Conflict, the Evolution of Warfare from 1945 to Ukraine. Thank you so much for joining me. Please come back. A lot more to talk about.
Always a pleasure, Dana. Thank you. And up next is CNN exclusive. A second grand jury has been called in the Hunter Biden special counsel investigation. Could more charges be looming for the president's son? We'll talk about that next. Now to some exclusive new CNN reporting. The president's son is facing another potential indictment. Special counsel David Weiss has convened a California grand jury and subpoenaed the president's brother in the investigation into Hunter Biden's business dealings. Appointing a grand jury may suggest that Weiss is preparing to bring new charges against Hunter Biden, who is already facing gun possession charges back east in Delaware. Let's discuss with CNN senior justice correspondent Evan Perez and CNN legal analyst Carrie Cordero. Explain what uh, your sources are telling you, Evan. Well, we know that this is uh, an ongoing investigation. It's been ongoing for about more than five years now. And the special counsel is moving to, uh, to get testimony, to get documents from a number of witnesses, including James Biden, Hunter Biden's uncle, the brother of the, of the president. And this is all about his business dealings, uh, particularly uh, the years 2017, 2018, when Hunter Biden failed to pay his taxes on time. That money has now been repaid, mm-hmm. uh, but this is still part of an investigation because he didn't pay it when he was supposed to. And so that is still now uh, a focus of the special counsel. This is supposed to be covered by the plea agreement that blew up spectacularly, as you remember, back in June. This was all going to be tied up, uh, but because that plea agreement fell apart, now the special counsel is moving uh, to possibly indict Hunter Biden in that venue, California, which uh-huh. is where he lives. Okay, I have a question for you um, with your giant legal hat on and your giant legal brain. If his name was Joe Schmo and he didn't pay his taxes, but then paid them afterwards or had somebody help him pay them afterwards, would he be potentially indicted for tax charges? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think the fact that this investigation has gone on so long, I mean, many years for what in a normal circumstance probably is something that maybe administratively could be uh, resolved by now, or at the very least, the plea deal would have been uh, accepted and would have been resolved now. It really does raise the question as to whether or not the special counsel is sort of tied in knots at this Mm -hmm. point where they can't just let it go because that could be perceived as being political and so they're pursuing it in another way. And I really do wonder whether the change of jurisdiction in addition to maybe the residence issue has to do with the fact that the judge in the former jurisdiction didn't accept the plea deal and so now they're wondering if they can maybe wrap this up potentially through an actual prosecution um, that could lead to a plea in another jurisdiction where it can get resolved. Well, I think one of the things that's happening is that because uh, Delaware is not a venue that this case could be brought, right? Um, The only reason why it was in Delaware was because this was where the investigation began Mm. and Hunter Biden's attorneys had agreed to waive venue to allow for this plea deal to go forward in Delaware. Now that that's no longer there, the only place they could bring this is really in California or in Washington where his uh, now deceased uh, uh, tax preparer uh, lived and and prepared the taxes. So that's why it's in California. But the the larger question I think that you're bringing up, which is... uh, 
certainly for Hunter Biden's attorneys and his supporters, and the president's supporters, they believe that this should never be going forward. As a matter of fact, that's one of the arguments they're making is this plea deal should still stand and that the special counsel doesn't have the, the, the right to bring this case. Yeah, it looks like a resolution in search of a case. Right. I mean, they're trying to, you know, one would think that given the nature, uh, the relatively low level nature mm -hmm. of the things that are being uh, potentially alleged here um, should have been wrapped up so long ago. And the fact that he's the, the son of the president, the fact that there are political consequences, either way the case is uh, disposed of. It just seems to me that at this point it is just dragging it on. Politics on. is not supposed to play a role in right? all of this. Right, it's but not supposed this, to. Right, you see this all <laughs> the time. Excuse me, I'm sorry to laugh. You see this all the I'm time, laughing. right, where prosecutors yeah. feel like they can't make a decision that they know they should because of the politics. Yeah, I mean, the politics are so deeply embedded in all of this, right. which is... 2023. Yes, it is. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks for explaining it. Thanks for thanks. your reporting. And up next, more new CNN reporting. This is about the Department of Education, which is launching investigations into anti-Semitic and Islamophobic incidents in several universities across the country. We'll give, him, give you more on that after a break. Now, I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. To a CNN exclusive, the Department of Education is launching investigations into seven schools after receiving complaints about alleged incidents of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. The investigations include five anti-Semitism cases and two Islamophobia cases. Among the schools, one K through 12 school and six colleges, including Cornell, Columbia and the University of Pennsylvania. Now, college campuses, as we've been reporting, they have seen a huge spike in tension over and since the Israeli-Hamas uh, war. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona tells CNN, quote, hate has no place in our schools. We need to match it with a level of response that uh, meets the moment. We need to be listening to our students. We need to let them know that they will be safe in our schools, that we're not going to tolerate hate or uh, threats on campus. CNN's Renee Marsh has been following this. Uh, so Renee, good to see you. What specifically is the Department of Education looking for here? Well, first, Dana, this is very significant in that, number one, these are the first campus hate investigations that we are seeing from the Department of Education since that October 7th Hamas attack. And secondly, to have so many of these investigations happening simultaneously in such a short period of time, that's certainly unique and it speaks to where we're at right now. So all of these schools that you're looking at on your screen, uh, the university, six universities and that one K through 12 school, they all got word about this investigation within the last 48 hours. And these investigations stem from complaints from students and advocacy groups. They were um, complaints that were placed with the Department of Education. Anyone can file a complaint, but these complaints were centered around anti-Semitic and Islamophobic incidents that allegedly happened on campuses. These universities, and I guess in one case, uh, a, a grade school, they're so, the people are so scared. Yeah. It's so fraught right now. So 
what does DOE think that they can actually do? I mean, that launching an investigation is one thing, but is, is it is it an investigation, but also a bit of a, a scare tactic to others? If you don't get your act together, university presidents, we're going to come in. I mean, essentially, they are uh, strongly letting these universities and schools know that they have a legal obligation. This is not a kind request to protect students from harassment and discrimination. It is in black and white in the law that as a university or school that receives federal funding, you're obligated by the law to protect these students from this. So what the Department of Education is going to do is they're going to do this investigation. They're going to submit recommendations to these schools. These schools will be under a period of monitoring to make sure they actually have made the changes. Mm -hmm. And if these schools do not comply for whatever reason, in the Department of um, Education's toolbox is to withhold funding. And they have said that they would do that. However, that's not their first line of defense. They want to just essentially support these schools so that students can learn in an environment free of discrimination and harassment. I and mean, that's really the key. In, in, for so long, uh, too long, universities have been uh, calling some of this political speech. It's free speech. We can't touch it. No. It's hate speech. Yeah. It's harassment. And the fact that the government is uh, now on it is, is a very different sign because right. it's needed. Renee, thanks so much for this reporting. Sure. Appreciate it. And thank you so much for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after the break. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.